to make space here in this place tonight to meet with Jesus. And if there's anything that you feel that you just need in a moment of quiet to say sorry for, here's a moment to do that as well. Lord, thank you that you're a God who forgives us when we confess. We receive your forgiveness for the things we've done. And Lord, we pray here in this place as we meet together that by the power of your Spirit, you might come and Jesus might be glorified here in our midst. Amen. Amen. Well, can I invite you to have a seat? Because we're going to begin our time together with a bit of an interview. Lizzie, why don't you come up? It's great to have you. Yes, is that okay? Great. So Lizzie's been a member of the church for, let me just switch this on, a number of years. Uh, great. How many years have you been a member of St. Jude's? Four years, I think. Right up yeah. to your... Oh, right up to my mouth. Is that better? Yes. Okay. About four years. Yeah. Um, now, something very powerful led you on a journey towards, uh, towards Jesus and towards being part yeah. of the church family. And we just uh, would love to hear a bit about it. So it's time when God very powerfully spoke, I think. Mm-hmm. When was it? Right. Well, I think we need to go back to 1999, which seems a, a years and years ago. But in 1999, I was at work as a barrister in Portsmouth, and um, I had massive visual disturbances. It was like I was looking at a revolving television screen. And I went up to QA, waited for seven hours, <laughs> and they said, go on your way to see your GP, and I did. And I um, had a brain scan, because what I didn't know at the time is they thought I might have had multiple sclerosis, but... Um, Anyway, I go for my follow-up after the MRI scan, see the doctor, and he says, your brain scan is entirely normal. And I said, so are you saying there's no um, clinical reason why I had this visual disturbance? And he said, don't put words into my mouth. I said, well, I'm just asking, is there any clinical reason? He says, your brain scan is entirely normal. And I left. That was that. Um, And didn't really hear anything else about that. And then... 2007, I was coming back from a holiday, more visual disturbance, so this is getting a bit weird. Go to see the GP and says, oh, you've got high blood pressure, we'll monitor that. So, okay, I carried on leading my very busy life. Um, In 2005, I'd been made a judge in Portsmouth. My girls were teenagers there, we'd moved to Southsea, and life was really good. And um, we get to 2011, where life was a bit more tricky because um, it was, I had a chair thrown at me in court. There was a lot of bullying and not nice things going on. And it was a tough year for all sorts of reasons. Now, who can remember the 8th of September, 2011? Nope, none of us. Well, there's a few nodding heads, but it's, you know... Generally, it wouldn't have been a special day for any um, event, but uh, I had been up to London to do an Equality Act training course that day, so to learn about disability discrimination, which was very useful. And I came back on the train, and there were lots of noisy schoolgirls running up and down, hitting me with their bags, and I had to say, please, please, can you not do that? So I'd had sort of a bit of a stressful journey home, and I get home, I did what I always did, which was make a cup of tea and eat some of my cake I'd made at the weekend, because that was good. And I made my meatballs for supper. 
But what I always would have been done, doing otherwise is running along South Sea Seafront because I had a London Marathon place running for St. John Ambulance and I was getting my mileage up. And I was doing about 20, 30 miles a week at that point. But for some reason, I came in and I said to Izzy, who was 16 at the time, I said, darling, um, I'm, I don't feel like running tonight. Should we go and do some exercise in the cellar? So we, we had a plan to put on an exercise DVD. And um, I had never done that before, ever. A, I hadn't exercised with Izzy. B, I hadn't asked her to exercise with me. And C, I wouldn't have been in the cellar. But for some reason, that's what I said we've got to do. And I went down the stairs into my cellar, and I just felt like a whoosh in my head. It was, you know, not painful, just a whoosh. And I turned to Izzy, and I put my hand to my head, and I said, Izzy, I've got a bit of a headache. I don't feel too good. And at that point, I collapsed into a chair. My poor little 16-year-old says one of the worst moments in her life was running upstairs to get the phone to dial 999. And within three, four minutes, a, a nice um, ambulance man who had been in his car around the corner came, which was just as well because I'd stopped breathing by that stage. We, it took eight minutes to get the um, paramedic ambulance from QA. And um, by the time they arrived, um, they test how deep your coma is. And the scale is three to 15. 15 being you're not really into too much of a coma. You're a light unconscious state three is as low as it goes before you die well when the ambulance man arrived I was at three and um, Zoe who's 14 had come back from babysitting and she had walked in to see this ambulance man working on me and um, Din wasn't home at that stage so she she rang up Din and said daddy daddy come quickly and she knew I'd had a stroke Mummy's had a stroke, and that's from she watched too much TV, so she saw all the fast adverts. But um, anyway, Daddy is coming back down the M27, I think with the windows open and lots of road noise. So he thinks she said, "Daddy, come quickly! Mummy stubbed her toe." So he said, "Get an ambulance." And um, she said, "Well, Izzy's already done that, so he knew it was serious." My husband's a bit of a speed merchant at the best of times. But um, he says, you know, he's never, never gone from the M27 flyover to South Sea um, as fast, but um, in such a state of dire worry. And he arrives and he gets to the house and the paramedics are there and they say, sorry, sir, but it looks like your wife suffered an unsurvivable cerebral event. We need to go to QA now. We go to QA. I have no idea at all any of this has happened. When I get to QA, um, the situation sort of gets even worse because they do a CT scan and realize that I have got a four and a half by five centimeter blood clot in the uh, uh, area of my brain caused by the rupture of a giant aneurysm. An aneurysm is a, like a balloon on the side of a blood vessel and gradually the, the sides of that can become weak and eventually um, rupture. And that's what happened with me. I had a giant aneurysm. And um, the blood from my blood vessel had poured onto my brain. And blood is it's like acid on a surface of the brain. And the brain can just shut down and die. And um, uh, my husband was told the only hope was to get me a bed at Wessex Neuro at Southampton General. And there were no beds. And he was told to go home and tell the children that mummy would probably be dead by morning. Oh. Lizzie, what, 
what changed things? Well, two and a half hours later, I got a bed at Wessex Neuro Intensive Care, and they found a neurosurgeon who operated on me throughout the night from one o'clock. I was sort of casivac down to Southampton. He did a, a craniotomy taking off the top of my head, shaved my hair. I looked like sort of some sort of punk rocker eventually when I came around. Um, but no, so I had a sort of nine-inch scar from the front of my forehead, sadly not a Harry Potter scar, but a nine-inch scar to the back of my ear where he'd sort of peeled back my head. Sorry, this is a bit awful. Got rid of all the awful blood stuff and um, clipped the aneurysm so it wouldn't cause any more problems. And it was still not good. My husband was told, well, she's got a 10% survival chance now. And although we've saved her, this is still a really difficult period, and um, we don't know how much of uh, Elizabeth we've saved. And that was the position for 10 to 14 days because I remained in a coma. I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea I was unwell. Looking back now, all it felt like is I was looking at a brown wall. So you could, you know, you t take those screens and imagine they were dark brown, and that was what my experience was of, of coma. Okay, Liz, and I'm going to have to speed you I know, up slightly. I know, well, I'm going to. <laughs> I'm getting to the exciting part, really, because I came round, and I was alive. Wow, that surprised everyone. Apparently, I was the save of the month at uh, Southampton General um, for September um, because they didn't expect to, to get me back. But um, I wake up after this coma for 14 days, and I said to my husband, Dan, I said... Darling, who was that man that came to visit me? He said, what man? I said, the man at the end of the cobbled path. Now he's thinking, oh, she really has lost it now. I said, no, no, there was a stable door, and behind the top of the stable door, there was this man, and the sky was bright orange, really bright orange, and this man said to me, Elizabeth, you're okay. You're right. You're safe. And I said, I don't know who he is, but he, he told me I was going to be all right, and I, I am. Well, it's all pretty horrible when I came around because to be told you've had a stroke at 46 and you're paralyzed and you're over 50% blind and not part, well, most of my body didn't work then. Um, it's not much better now, but most of my body didn't work then. But I just felt that I needed to pray. Now, this is someone who never really went to church, maybe barks or carol services and, you know, the very occasional t time. And although I would have called myself a Christian, and I did pray when I went running every day, um, you know, praying for good things for people and for people to be healed. But um, do you know what? I, I don't really know the person who I was talking to. I just knew, I mean, I was talking to God and I was praying and that's a good thing to do. And I, I thought I was a good person, so that was okay. But I woke up and I thought, I really need to pray. And I really need to go to church to pray. I can't just, I just can't do this on my own. And so we started to go to the cathedral. And I was in a wheelchair at the time. And we went to the cathedral for three months. And not one person spoke to us. <laughs> and um, so we're thinking, this isn't really very friendly, is it, this um, church thing? So my husband said, let's try St. Jude's. And we came in to an evening service and I sat over there, and I felt just this, it was an almighty, powerful 
sensation coming down from the rafters over there. And I felt like, for those of you who've fallen in love, and um, it's just the most amazing thing at the beginning. It's good as well later, but amazing thing at the beginning. And you, your heart is just full of love. And that's exactly how I felt over there. I thought, I, I love this church thing. I'm going to come again. And I did. And then um, we decided we'd do the Alpha course. Now, I had actually done an Alpha course 20 years earlier with a friend who's a great Christian. But you know the part where the Holy Spirit's come to visit you? Well, nothing happens. So I thought, oh, he doesn't really want me. So that was that. But then um, Mike led us through, what, 10 weeks or something like that of Alpha. And it was like each week... Just I felt a bit more whole, like I was putting together pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. And um, I got to the end of that, and I said to Mike, I want to be confirmed. And I was, and that was the November of 2012. And all through this, you know, I suppose the message is, eventually I found out who that man was. I know with all my heart that man was Jesus, and I know he came to tell me I was safe. And I knew he, he has kept me safe. You know, it's been pretty miserable over the last four years at times. But he has kept me safe. And I'm alive and I'm kicking. Um, and you've just got to think. Um, that aneurysm had been in my brain for 12 years. And I know that because the brain scan I had right at the beginning of this story wasn't entirely normal. There was an aneurysm on my big artery even then, and it was missed. So I walked around, I ran around, and I, three weeks before I collapsed, I was running through Gascony, um, sometimes seven, eight miles on my own in 30 degrees heat, going up and down hills, and I, nothing happened to me. Um, every other day I would have been running on the seafront, and nothing happened to me, and if I'd collapsed on the seafront, I would have just been like another drunk or someone in the gutter that people didn't take much notice of. But God kept it. I had the aneurysm. He knew I had the aneurysm, but he kept me safe right to the moment when it had to rupture. And so on, on the 8th of September 2011, he made sure I was at home. I was with my beautiful daughter. The ambulance car was around the corner. And... They found a neurosurgeon and a bed. None of that should have happened but for God. And so I'm blessed. I'm lucky. Life's difficult, but I know I always go on too long. (laughs) And not giving the microphone. You're not. But do you know what? (laughs) I I now have that relationship with Jesus and with God that, you know, people talk about and I didn't know what it is. But actually, you know, he's there for me and I'm sure he's there for all of you. And... um, it's magic. And I know that's not a good bib- biblical, a theological word, but actually, it's really special. So I'm lucky, and you can have your microphone back now. <laughs> well, I think on that cue, I think we really need to worship and uh, praise a wonderful God that we have, actually. Um, can I ask a band to come up? We're going to spend some time in worship. Can I ask um, a couple of people around Lizzie to pray for her? After and after giving testimony, we can feel slightly vulnerable. Do a work in this land that only you can do, turning this land back to you, Jesus. Lord, you can do it. You've done it in the past. We pray do it again. 
Lord, in the midst of these years, revive us, we pray. Oh, Lord, look with mercy, we pray. And now let's just cry out for the place where we are now, Portsmouth and Southsea. Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful city. Lord, thank you for the heritage and the history. Thank you for the communities that are represented here. Thank you for the neighbours that we have and our friends and our families. And we cry out for this city, Lord, that you would visit it in the power of your Spirit, that she would know her Saviour, that her people would see the living God. We pray that each church would take its part, that we would take our part in the revival of this city, Lord, that just as it's a port city, out from here might come great words of gospel hope that affect the nations, Lord, that you'd start here, we dare to pray, Lord, you'd start with us. Please, Lord God. And just now, I want you to name your street, the road that you live on. And I pray for cousin. You would revive. We pray for divine appointments on that road. We pray for the work of your spirit in people's lives. We pray for broken families that you see if no one else does. We pray, Lord, that you'd bring about a turning of the hearts of the children to fathers and fathers to children. We cry out to you for the stop of injustice in this city. Lord, you see that very clearly. And we pray you'd put an end to it. And we pray for those that are longing for you, just don't know your name, that they would hear the name of Jesus. That they would hear the name of Jesus, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. So we commit that to you. Heal our nation. And that healing comes through Jesus. So Jesus, we pray, come and visit us afresh. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, can I invite you to have a seat? In a moment, we're going to have a reading, but can I invite you perhaps to turn around and say hello to someone you haven't said hello to yet and actually just share where you were praying for in that first bit of prayer. Where did you come from? What's your home city? Tell, tell someone about it. The good things and the bad things. come to a time in God's word now. Uh, Charlie is going to come and read to us. Hopefully there are Bibles in your seats. encourage you to find them. Turn to the page that Charlie will let us know in a moment. Uh, Just read along with her. Charlie, over to you. So tonight we are reading from Luke chapter 4 verses 14 to 37. And that is on page 1031, so 1031 of the Church Bibles. So Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 37. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as it was his custom. 
and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many windows, sorry, widows <laughs> in Israel <laughs> and Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching, because his message had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. This is the word of the Lord. Charlie, thanks for that reading. I can assure you there probably were lots of windows in Israel in that time. Don't worry. Well, if you were with us last week, uh, we, begin a, we began a series looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And I began by speaking about how often he has been forgotten in church thinking, often forgotten in Christian living, but... Perhaps nowadays, actually, there's beginning to be a stirring and a reawakening of that which was lost now being found. And that expectation that God, by his Spirit, is a God who works in power in the here and now. Not just there and then in the Bible, but in the here and now. And we had some snapshots as to what that might look like for our lives. 
Well, we're carrying on in that series this evening, and tonight we're looking at how Jesus lived his life in the leading and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going back to basics. We're going back to Jesus and to look at him and see what it meant for him to have a close relationship to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Before I begin, let me pray for us. Well, Lord, we want to thank you for your word. And we pray now that by the power of your spirit, you might come and open our ears to hear your voice. We pray that our hearts would be rightly inclined. We pray that our minds would be given ability to comprehend and understand your ways. And I pray that you, by your sovereign grace, might confirm these words in our lives here tonight. In your name we ask this, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, the 2011 film Limitless stars uh, Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro and is about a struggling writer called Edward. Anyone seen this, by the way? It was on, it was on TV this week, actually. I didn't see it this week. But. And um, Edward is a struggling writer who is having the worst writer's block imaginable. He hasn't been able to write anything for many months. But then suddenly his shadowy brother comes along with some experimental pills that he and his company have been working on. And uh, Edward takes one of these pills. And as soon as he takes it, his mind has a quantum jump and a leap forward in ability. Suddenly, the writer's block is gone and he's able to pen a masterpiece in a single evening and submit it to his publishers. Suddenly, he has perfect memory recall. He can remember every single thing from his life in the past. I'm not sure I'd want that, actually. <laughs> he has the ability to learn anything at a prodigious rate, languages and data and techniques straight away, and he has increased physical abilities. And the claim was that this drug unlocked all the potential of his human mind. And so, of course, he wants some more, and he obtains some more. And as he takes more and more, these abilities increase. And he has a few ups and downs in the film. Uh, people try to steal this set of pills away from him, and he finds some more. And uh, by the end of it, actually, he's worked out a way of retaining these abilities without taking the pills. And he's running for the U.S. Senate, and the future looks like he's going to be the president. He's tapped up to be president. And when I first watched that film, I thought, that's really interesting, a very interesting narrative on our culture today, because it's at heart it's got a very sad moral, hasn't it? That actually, if you try hard enough, if you find the right ways, you can transcend yourself. You can be greater than you are, and you should try everything you can to get there. You can have powers and abilities that are beyond yourself. And in fact, it's very endemic in culture at the time. I wanted to go to the movies this weekend, and so I was looking at what was on the box office listing, what were the top films. And it was interesting that the top two films were all about superpowers and superheroes with superpowers. Uh, the latest X-Men and the latest Captain America, if you really wanted to know. About these people who have managed to augment themselves or have managed to find out how to unlock the potential within them or somehow just through a random mutation of end up with amazing powers that means that they can become bigger than they are, greater than they are. And it's not just in Hollywood, actually. 
in the science industry at the moment, there are billions of dollars and pounds being spent on a yearly basis seeing if we can ourselves become better than we are or augment our existence to actually gain new abilities. And part of that, I think, is narcissistic. It's a, it's a form of self-love, actually. We want to feel good about ourselves by the power that we have and the abilities that we have. And if we can increase that, wow, this is amazing. Let's watch films about people doing that. Part of it, though, I think, is genuine. That actually we were actually meant to live a life that isn't just contained within our natural abilities. That actually somewhere deep within our souls, we're aware that there is more to life than this. And that which uh, is actually able to be put inside of us that's actually greater than we could possibly do. I think it's a mixed bag of what's going on in culture at the moment. Well, coming to our reading in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus comes on the scene, he possesses powers and abilities that have never been seen before. And the people are amazed. Verse 36, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. Jesus comes with these abilities and powers that have never been seen before. But of course, his power doesn't come from any special engineered drugs or mutations or anything like that. His power comes from one place only, the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at the first verse of our reading. In the context, Jesus has been filled with the Spirit at baptism. He's been led by the Spirit into the desert, being tempted and tested and passes every test. And there's verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. Later on in our reading, he stands up in a synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. He unrolls the scroll of the day to Isaiah 61. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. And he says what's going to happen as a result. Preaching good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight and release for the oppressed. Which is exactly, if you read the Gospel of Luke, what he does. And tonight, what I want to do, very humbly, is to look at this, this power of the Spirit that so filled Jesus' life that people were amazed that something new had broken out, and see if there's anything that we can learn for ourselves, for what God might want to do here and now in our lives. In a sense, Jesus gives us a model here, gives us a model. Today, in the Anglican calendar, it is, anyone, Trinity Sunday. And the Bible makes clear that God is three persons, but one God. And in the Christ hymn of Philippians 2, it describes how Jesus himself didn't come on earth and minister in his own power and authority, but he emptied himself of those things. He did that so he could fully identify with us, ultimately at the cross, taking our sins. And instead, the Bible says, everything that he did, every act of ministry, every miracle, 
every wonderful work that caused amazement was done in the power of the third person, the power of the Holy Spirit. And if that is true, and I think it is, then that full identification means that the same is true for us. His body on earth, that we don't rely on our own abilities, we don't rely on our own position, but the power of the Holy Spirit is available for the same works we see Jesus doing. And I want to dig into that tonight and suggest there are two things about the power of the Holy Spirit for us as a church and as individuals to live by. And the first one is this. The power of the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. It's the one thing that he is about, one thing that he wants to do more than anything else as a person of the Godhead, is to glorify Jesus. At the beginning of the passage, verse 15, it says, after the power and the teaching, everyone praised him. They didn't praise the Spirit, they praised him. In fact, the King James says they glorified him. The word there is doxa, which actually means a weighty praise. That actually the Spirit's work through Jesus led to his glory. Again, when he stands up in the synagogue and he says from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, what's he doing? Well, he's looking back to an Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah, the coming Christ, the one who's going to reconcile Israel back to God. And he's saying, the way you're going to realize it's me is because the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And I've been sent. And he says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit is going to authenticate my claims about who I am and glorify me. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me. I am the Messiah. The end of our chapter, verse 37, after amazing miracle of deliverance, it says, the news spread about him, the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Again, the Spirit's work through something remarkable, the expulsion of evil, leads to Jesus' glory people start hearing about him. People start wondering about him. People start asking the question, could this be the Messiah? Now, I wanted to draw this out because this is so important for us as a church to understand, that the Spirit glorifies Jesus. It's his main ministry here on earth. If you want to know what he's about, where he'll lead you, what he'll guide you into, what he wants to do through you, it will be to this end, to glorify Jesus, to make him known. He won't do it for any other reason when it comes to the end. And in one sense, of course, this is a break in the model. The Holy Spirit of God fills Jesus to glorify him, but the Holy Spirit of God doesn't fill us to glorify us. That's not how it works. The Holy Spirit of God fills us to glorify Jesus because only he is worthy of glory. This is a mistake that people make, thinking that when God's Spirit fills them and leads them and does remarkable things, it's actually about them. It's not at all. 
Not at all. It is to Jesus' glory. We never get this wrong. It's to his glory. The Apostle John in 1 John says, this is the key way to work out if something that is happening is of the Holy Spirit or not. Does it point to Jesus? He says in 1 John 4 verse 2, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Sadly, in the church, there's all kinds of rubbish out there that claims to be of the Holy Spirit, that claims to be of the charismatic and of the spiritual and of God's work. But actually, it's not at all. It's not at all. It's about them and their power and their glory. Nine times out of ten, it's not the work of the Holy Spirit. Not at all. This really came home to me when I was training for ordination, which was, feels like many years ago now. <laughs> it wasn't actually that long. Ministry, yeah, it takes it out of you. No, it's a great thing, it's a great thing. But um, my dad happens to live half the year in America, in Florida, and he suns himself, he's there at the moment. And he lives very close to a place called Orlando, which you might have heard of, and another place in Florida that became very, very famous, very briefly, in 2009. And it became very famous across the world because there was an outpouring, supposedly, of the Holy Spirit. And people were encountering God. And I was reading these reports and thinking, my dad lives 30 minutes' drive away from there. 30 minutes' drive. I wonder what I should do. But as I was reading and reading what was going on, I realized, oh no. Oh no, oh no, oh no. And I started hoping and praying that actually he wouldn't hear about it that he wouldn't go, actually. That actually it seemed to me from the outset that there was something not quite right here, that it was all about other things and not Jesus. And this came to an head, actually, when I read that the leader of the movement said that he'd had an angelic visit and the angel had said the following to him, you don't need to tell the people about Jesus. They know that already. You need to tell them about the angels. I goes, oh dear, oh no, this isn't the Holy Spirit's work. This is something completely different. It's very easy to be taken in by this stuff. And thankfully, my dad never went. It's no surprise that later that leader fell from grace, very quickly actually. It wasn't a genuine work of God. This is the Spirit. The Spirit only works to glorify Jesus, not angels, not people, not movements, not churches, only Jesus, only Jesus. For us, actually, as we apply this to our lives, the moment we start seeking God and his power to do things like healing, to do the miraculous for the prophetic gifts, whatever things he might want to do, the, more, the moment we start making about ourselves more than it is about Jesus, well, it's unlikely the Spirit of God will be at work. The moment we make it about our level of faith more than about Jesus' glory, the moment we make it about our persistence more than Jesus, or our secret keys to prayer that we've discovered more than Jesus, you can guarantee that's going to cause the Spirit of God to fly away like the dove. 
that's not what the Spirit of God is about. It's not about your glory. It's not about you. It is about Jesus. You will only do it for his glory. We should shape and format our prayers and our expectations. It's for him. But converse to this, let me suggest, if our lives are about Jesus' glory, pointing towards him, then both this is likely to be the work of the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is likely to be pleased to be powerfully working through you. You can see this just looking at church history and the most powerfully used people were always those who, by the Spirit of God, were led to Jesus and kept pointing towards Jesus. Perhaps preeminently, we know, is the Apostle Paul. No one was used more powerfully in the power of the Spirit than him. No one's come across since. You may be able to quote various people, but actually, it was him. And yet he says very simply in Philippians what his life was about. For me to live is Christ. No wonder the Spirit of God was so pleased to be with him. No wonder he saw the miraculous. No wonder he saw so many people being saved, so many people healed and transformed because his life was about Jesus. No wonder. Some of you will have heard of uh, someone called Michael Green. Uh, hands up if you've heard of Michael Green. He's a bit of an old school uh, preacher, teacher, um, but probably the best evangelist in the last century that Britain has seen, I would say, in my humble opinion. And he's still going in his 80s. And both my, myself and Mike actually have had the privilege of working alongside him and for him at various points. Mike was obviously a, a while back, and I was perhaps more, more recently. <laughs> and um, I, when I spent time working with him, I thought there's such a powerful anointing for you to be able to win people for Christ. He's seen, he's seen thousands, one-to-one, be one for Christ. He had a famous sofa in his study where people would kneel and it was the anointed sofa because whoever sat on those, that sofa, by the end of their time of getting up, they'd be kneeling on it, giving their lives to Christ. And I was just amazed by this. I tried to learn what he was doing, tried to understand it. Couldn't, it was crazy. I was reading an interview this week um, that was given with him by an American reporter. And he was asked, what's the secret of your spiritual success? What's the secret? And his answer was really simple. I live for an audience of one. I live just for him. Just for him. Because of that, because of that, God was pleased to place his hand on his life and powerfully anoint him as an evangelist to see many saved. He lives for an audience of one. And the application of this is really simple. Really simple, folks. It's that if you want to know the power, the presence of the Spirit at work in your life, then you need to make it about Jesus. The people here have never actually done that for the first time. And it won't be until you've made that step that you'll know the power and presence of the Spirit doing amazing things. There are people here who once lived with that orientation, and yet there's been a drift been about other things and the call here really is to take all the arrows that are pointing in different directions and make them point in just one direction towards Jesus if you do that 
I can guarantee, Scripture says it, experience says it, many people here will be able to say it, guarantee the Spirit of God will so, so come and so confirm your life with power that Jesus will be glorified more than you can possibly imagine if you make it about him, if you make it about him. Well, that's the first thing that I wanted to draw out. The power of the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. And the second one is that the power of the Holy Spirit is the greater power. Greater than what, you're going to ask? Well, greater than anything, actually. Greater than anything. That if our lives are directed towards Jesus and to his glory, then the power that the Holy Spirit is able to outwork through us is greater than any power that would come against the name of Jesus. Any power in heaven and earth. We see this so clearly in our chapter at the end of it. After being rejected from Nazareth because he wouldn't play by their rules of glorifying his hometown, he goes to somewhere called Capernaum, which is a town nearby. And when he gets there, well, suddenly, while he's teaching a demon, an evil spirit manifests in someone. Now, it's important to realize that this had not been seen in the Bible thus far, actually, this kind of thing. We hear about evil spirits, but never them suddenly manifesting out of people. But what was going on is that the presence and power of God was so concentrated in Jesus by the power of the Spirit that these things had to happen. It's almost like if you've got a rotting log and you put a bright hot flame next to the rotting log, what do you see scurrying out? You see all these wood lice and worms scurrying out because of the intensity and the power of that flame. And this is what's going on here. When Jesus turns up on the scene, the intensity and the power of the Spirit, the anointing on him, causes all these things to suddenly erupt and try to get away and try to actually escape. And this particular thing, it's okay to call it a thing, really, tries a bit of a power play, tries to undermine Jesus' ministry. It says, verse 34, that he shouts out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He's trying to draw Jesus into discussion, but Jesus doesn't have any of it. Be quiet, Jesus said suddenly. Come out of him. And there and then, he's delivered of it. It's gone forever. This poor guy who probably had suffered years of torment, we don't know. Probably years and years and years of torment under this power suddenly is free that no power can stand up to the power that Jesus had, the power of the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Matthew 12, 28, Jesus explains after similar courage, if I by the Spirit of God drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That actually this is kingly power. This is royal power. This is God's power at work. And this is why the Holy Spirit's power is always the greater power. Every other power is a created power under his feet. But the power of the Holy Spirit is God's power. It's God at work. And it's always going to be greater than any other power. And this power has not changed. Has not changed. Hasn't been diluted over time. Hasn't run dry like a battery. It hasn't stopped being greater than any other. 
A friend of mine who's a preacher loves to illustrate this with yet another film. Um, he, he talks about, and uh, I love him when he talks about this, the film Troy. Has anyone seen that film? Oh, a few of you, okay. Well, you can guess what it's about. It's about Troy, cunningly. And it's uh, from 2004. And it stars Brad Pitt as Achilles. Anyone here a Brad Pitt fan? Some ladies, I, I'm pretty sure, would have put their hand up if they'd been honest there. And it tells about the siege of Troy, uh, which is a very famous incident where the Greek army surrounded Troy and tried to get in, couldn't, and obviously then created the Trojan horse to get in and hence beware of Greeks bearing gifts and so on and so forth. But there's an amazing scene right at the beginning of that film where Achilles, who is a formidable Greek warrior, is called upon to fight on behalf of one of the Greek tribes, led by someone called King Agamemnon, against another Greek tribe. There's a bit of civil war going on. And instead of there being lots of bloodshed between these tribes as they fight it out, they choose their best warriors. And so Achilles is put forth by Agamemnon. And the other side puts across this huge beast of a guy called Boagoras. He's over seven foot tall. He's built, he's rippling with muscles. He's got two huge spears. And you think, he, Achilles is just going to get flattened. There's just going to be no contest here. And so the battle begins, and Achilles starts running towards this giant. And he dodges one spear, he dodges another, and he simply takes out his sword and with one single thrust runs him through to the heart. And this giant falls down on his knees and slumps down dead. And then Achilles turns to the opposing tribe and shouts out, Is there no one else? Is there no one else? And guess what? No one stands up. No one comes forward. It's quite clear who the great warrior is. I want to say to you, when the power of the Spirit is at work, there's no one else that can stand up to him. He is God. He is God. No one can stand up to that kind of power. No one could dare step forward against that kind of power. He is God. And I want to apply this in two things two ways for us this evening that I believe that God might be wanting to do amongst us. Firstly, it might be that you are here and you are aware of things in your life that you are struggling with. Powers, actually, of the past or the present, external or internal, whatever they might be, they just keep dragging you down. They just keep getting you in the wrong places. And I want to say to you that the power of the Spirit of God tonight can break those chains, can break those holds. Maybe nothing else on this planet can, but he can. Hope is not lost, he can. And we'll pray for you later if that's you. But secondly, the application for us wider as a church is that if it's true that the same Spirit of God that filled Jesus fills us as his body on earth, continuing his mission, then that same power is available for us to do the same things. A couple of years, uh, a couple of decades ago, actually, 
Um, there was a well-known New Testament scholar called Professor Jack Deere, who uh, was a, someone who didn't really believe in the work of the Holy Spirit for the present age, until he was really challenged by people that he met and reading through the Bible and seeing convincingly that actually, no, we're to expect what we see in the Bible. God hasn't changed, nothing's changed. And he started to see this real time in front of him. And so he wrote a book, and the book was entitled Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. He shouldn't have been. He was a New Testament scholar. He knew his stuff, and yet he was surprised by it. And he wrote a book about it saying, I was wrong. Surprised at just what the Spirit of God can do. And I want to say to us that it may very well be that the Lord wants to surprise us. You may have known it in the Bible, you may have known it in part in your life, but it may be that he wants to surprise you by the power of what he can do through you. Because if it's true that Jesus continues his work through the Spirit, through us, then actually these words he says in verse, seven, in verse 18 are for us as well. They're for us. We could read ourselves into it. The Spirit of the Lord is on us because he has anointed us to preach good news to the poor. He has sent us to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Who wants to do that? Who wants to do that? I want to see that. I want to see more of that. You'll know our church vision statement, especially if you're here in the morning, was Jesus' lives transformed. Jesus loved transforming lives from the heart of South Sea. And let me tell you, it's only going to come in the power of the Spirit. We can't muster it ourselves. Only his power will enable it. And so tonight, I'm going to invite you in a moment after some time of worship to pray in response to these things. And can I encourage you to open yourselves up to this amazing power that isn't destructive, but heals lives. That isn't for your glory, but it's for Jesus' glory and actually enables people's lives to be transformed, the oppressed to be set free, the year of the Lord's favor to be known. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and invite the van. We're going to worship and then we're going to pray together. Well, we're just going to praise the band just to help us to focus our time and our thoughts towards the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your kindness to us in sending your Son as our Saviour. We thank you that you are here by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, thank you for that witness in Scripture, that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, the same power of the Spirit that lives in us, And so we pray tonight, send your holy power upon us afresh. Come, Holy Spirit. And as often our custom, you might just want to open your hands as a sign of that to help, though you don't have to. Lord, we wait on you. We ask for your power to be your witnesses, to be your agents of transformation. Lord, we believe that you have not changed. 
that your power has not diminished, that you are still God. And Lord Jesus, we want all that you want. We want the fullness of what you wish to do through us and in our lives. Now it's just a time for you to personally just echo those things in your heart. Now, I have a sense that uh, in this room that there, there are particular people here who know that you are struggling with powers that control, that you're struggling against other powers, and you need God to break through. And if that's you, and I'm only going to ask people to come forward to be prayed for, you need to come forward. Don't shy away. Don't be afraid. You won't be judged. We're not going to Say out loud what it is, but you know what those things are, and you need the power of God, the greater power, to break through, and he will, he can. And secondly, I just have a sense that um, from Ephesians for the fivefold ministry, that in this place people are being called actually to be empowered for the apostolic, for the prophetic, for evangelism, for teaching, for pastoring. There is a calling coming on people's lives. It's stirring up. And God wants to empower you for that, for Jesus' glory, for the work of his kingdom. It's not about you. It's what he wants to do through you. And maybe you've already had the first inklings of that. This is a time to receive it, to receive that calling. So, Lord, I pray that you would confirm your word in our midst now. Confirm your word, what you are doing. Speak to us, sovereign Lord. Speak to us, we pray. And if I can just ask the ministry team to come forward to pray with people. If you were in one of those categories, don't leave this place. I'm going to ask you to come forward. It's a brave step. But this is what I sense God wanting to do here tonight. And so do come forward, ministry team. It would be great to have you as well. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray and see if God will do that work that he has promised in Scripture. Surely he will. Surely he will.
And if you're not at the front responding, this time for you to just have that time with the Lord in your own personal prayers for these things. might bear fruit in our lives, might change us. We pray for your power as we go out from this place, the power of the Spirit of God to fill your people for his glory, we pray. Amen. May it be all to his glory and a word of blessing. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father who loves you, the Son who has saved you and the Spirit who empowers you be upon you and remain upon you now and always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen. Well, do go in peace, but we also just want to say that this place is still open as well for prayer. Do you have a sense that there might be some people still that that five-fold ministry that God is calling you and you know it and now is the time. Now is the time to step into it. But be blessed. See you next week. That's what we're doing. <laughs> and Mike's going to be speaking to us next week on life depending on the Spirit. Great.